Welcome to this edition of Xenial's Table Stakes Podcast. I'm your host, Tamma Looney, Global Payments Head of Client Success for the Analytics and Customer Engagement Division. I'm joined today by two very innovative industry-leading experts, Jerry Phillips from Whataburger and Katherine Dalton from Xenial. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Jerry Phillips, just so you know, has led technology and digital operations for the last six years at Whataburger and also brings years of operations and technology experience across multiple industries, including holding some prestigious titles at Clear Channel and iHeartRadio. So, Jerry, thank you so much for joining us today. Tamma, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Along with Jerry, we have hospitality and data expert Catherine Dalton, who currently is the senior brand executive at Xenial over analytics and customer engagement solutions. And she brings more than 20 years of subject matter expertise and consulting experience in data, including competitive pricing, reputation management, and more. So Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Very happy to be here and so nice to meet you, Jerry. Nice to meet you as well, Catherine. All right, so today we're gonna be digging into this notion of data being the new form of currency for brands and consumers alike. Or better said, how data has become one of the most important ingredients and the recipe for restaurant success. So Jerry, I'm gonna start with you. We talk a lot about the massive influx of data over the last decade, and top brands are really digging into better understanding and using that data. So from your perspective, what types of data are you really prioritizing now or maybe utilizing the most? I tell you, it, it changes a lot, especially through this mm -hmm. last year and a half. But the key areas of data that we're focused on right now are really two areas. One of those, of course, is customer data. Customer data is very, very important as we go through the, the journey that the last year has brought us uh, in changing how customers interact with uh, the restaurants, with how they interact with our staff, with how they want their food, how they want their quality. I think that's been a huge, huge impact. But the other data that we're really, really focused on is around our family member data and the teams that serve our customers inside our restaurants. We need to understand how they are interacting with our customers. We also need to understand how they're interacting with other technology and how can we enable them to be able to do their jobs easier, more efficiently, and cleaner? I think, you know, we, we always focus here uh, on, on what we call that, that last mile worker, that frontline worker. They're the most ignored worker in the industry uh, that from a technology perspective, but the amount of data they generate is huge when you start looking into it. And so those are really the two key areas that we're focused on right now. We can break those out. They go into a lot of areas like time to receive orders, speed of service, uh, you know, drive-through wait times, times before the speaker post, times after the speaker post, all kinds of other areas that, that we venture into. But I'd say those are really the two key areas we're focused on. That's excellent, Jerry. Very, very insightful, too, uh, especially as we're looking through trying to encourage workers to come back in and to stay in, keeping that turnover low, which I know Whataburger has done better than most. And we'll talk a little bit about your success there. But I think the fact that you focus on it is exactly why that is the case. That's right. That's right. All right, Catherine, you work with customers across a variety of sizes and types. So what are you seeing in terms of the data landscape? 
Yeah, I love this question because it's so relevant to what's happening in our industry right now. And I love it. Like you said, Tim, I love Jerry hearing how focused you are, not just on the customer, but on the employee, because that's such a big part of the puzzle. So that really excites me. Um, I always think backwards before I think forwards on it. it. We talked about data scarcity when I when I was new to new to data, like ten years ago. It was all this this concept of data scarcity being the biggest challenge prior to like the internet age, and back then there's all these traditional research, and it was the only way to get at your customers to understand who they are. And and some brands still use that, and it is certainly there's an awful lot of um, reliable legacy methods that you know we should still use, but. Then when we entered that data deluge, you know, the, the age of big data, and we started getting so much of it, I, and then with COVID, another wave of it, you know, and suddenly we have this massive amount of data. And, and it's really exciting because a lot of it is guest-specific and transactions tied to an identifier, you know, all these things that allow for a deeper level of understanding of your customers, you know, that customer data that you were mentioning, Jerry. But it's also... Um, a challenge. You know, one of the common themes that I've been seeing, especially in the last six months when I'm talking to restaurant operators, is that sometimes they're a little bit paralyzed by what to do with it all. There's so much and they realize there's a potential and they're intrigued by it. But that leap from having tons of it in different silos, you know, to making it usable can be really intimidating. It's like expensive and time consuming and complicated. And there's a, there's a big question around what to do with it. And they've already got their hands full, you know, as, as we all know, uh, labor shortages and food costs and customer satisfaction. So it's just really hard to add that component in. Um, and it's so, you know, this goes on the back burner sometimes. So to, to me, that's one of the exciting things that I'm seeing right now that that's a common challenge. It doesn't even matter on the size of the brand sometimes. And it sounds, Whataburger, as in all things, is ahead of the game. But for so many brands, it's really paralyzing right now. Catherine, I, I couldn't disagree more. I think that has been one of our biggest challenges over the last, last uh -huh. year is how do we narrow mm -hmm. that data down to really what is going to drive a change in the business? Yeah. Uh, and a drive in our employment or a drive in our customer satisfaction, our CSAT or FSMSAT scores. Um, and so we have spent a lot of time, both as a leadership team and as a operations team, spending time with our operating partners out in our units, understanding what they do, how they do, what data that they need to see on a daily basis to be able to address some of those challenges. And one of the exciting things we've been able to do here is knock down some of those silos that you mentioned. And it's right. taken a lot of time and we are not perfect in it by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but it's, it's no longer there isn't just an operating department, an IT department, a finance department, a marketing department, a training department. We're all one group. And yes, there are, are skill sets in each one of those groups, but we're coming together as a team to look at that data because there is so much data uh, yeah. that, that we have to comb through on a daily basis. Well, I wanna dig in to a little bit of what you were talking about earlier, Gary, which is one of the two main types of data. And I wanna focus now more on the future of consumer and loyalty data. So Catherine, I'm gonna start with you this time. We know e-clubs and loyalty programs provide avenues to help increase customer engagement, and they are a rich, rich source of consumer data. 
But in terms of the approach to data, what changes are you seeing in this area right now? Yeah, there, and there's no question having a good e-club and loyalty program, you know, gives us the, that access to that data for some of the most established customers, for sure. And then when we link online ordering and mobile apps, you know, we get an even richer data set. So there's a lot there. But this past year, you know, it's, it's, it's impacted everything. And this is definitely an area that where it's impacted loyalty, where loyalty small L. <laughs> some customers had to opt for accessibility, you know, over their favorites. And if their favorite brand wasn't offering, say, delivery or off-premise or didn't have a drive-through, some brand, some some people, you know, would have to choose to make a brand switch. And sometimes we're discovering new favorites. It, it looks to me like this is not an area that Whataburger struggled in because they were accessible. So that was a positive. But for a lot of brands, uh, they found a challenge here that accessibility was winning out over loyalty. So I think it makes it even more important than ever for loyalty programs to be super flexible and dynamic as, as they're figuring all those pieces out, like loosening up on time restrictions or casting wider nets or, you know, some, it needs to be the loyalty programs need to be responsive to that need um, from consumers. And I also think that email and loyalty are sort of the entry level foundation of it all, the, the ground floor, because you can't go up without it, but it feels to me like it's just the start because now with all this flood of guest-centric POS data and uh, aggregated transaction data from like uh, credit cards, brands can build out these consumer profiles that encompass not only the people they know from their loyalty program, but also these unknown customers, you know, people who are coming to their restaurant and placing orders but aren't participating in those programs. So they don't have data on those. And even people who aren't you know, getting a better idea of what other consumers are out there in your market that you're not hitting yet and why. So I think that that's a really um, rich area that we'll be seeing more and more on because we do have all of this data and because brands are learning to use it. And they're seeing that if they can sort of triangulate your loyalty data with these other sources, you can fill out this more complete picture of all of your customers, not just the existing, but also your potential. So that's one of the things that actually really excited me to come to Global Payments in the first place and Xenial because they have all this data and I'm a, an absolutely data obsessed human. <laughs> so I wanted to come play with it. And uh, it's really exciting because I feel like the potential is sort of endless at the moment. It's evolving every moment of every day. So it's an exciting area. Great. And really, one of the one of the benefits that I had was interviewing someone from your team, Jerry, Kristen Addington, who talked about exactly that. Whataburger wasn't in the right place, right? It's, it was on the roadmap when COVID hit, but it was an extended roadmap. And you were able to pivot and get, you know, all of that launch. Can you tell us a little bit about there, that, Jerry? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Kristen is, is absolutely right. She, she was key to that success. But I think that back to what I said, when we started knocking down the silos, we did that really, really quickly. And, and we were fortunate enough to have a leadership team and, and our, our team members that wanted to do that. Because at the end of the day, they wanted to help the brand. They wanted to help our customers. We saw a huge need out there as, as COVID hit. And so we were able to come together quickly and knock down some of those barriers and believe it or not, actually use some of the data that we had that we hadn't been paying attention to, tied that with some external sources of data. And we were able to spin up 
you know, two new revenue streams very, very quickly uh, within about eight to 12 weeks. Uh, both those revenue streams, one of them being uh, curbside and the other one being delivery as those were things that were on our on our roadmap. And I'll be honest, they were on our roadmap for 22, 23. We'll think about it. We'll look at it. You know, we're not really sure if that really fits our brand. But as as that COVID hit and the world changed, we were able to keep a lot of our business customers because we were able to meet them, like Catherine said, where they wanted to be met. And so... Uh, very, very good success in that space. And matter of fact, just today was talking about how we're even going to enhance those channels more uh, over the next few months as we continue to to meet our customers where they, they want to be met. Yeah. So it, it, it was a really exciting journey. Uh, looking back, we're, we're good to take a little deep breath and relax a little bit. But at the same time, uh, wow, what an amazing story for, for us. And, and we did it with partners like y'all, uh, daily phone calls, daily, uh, sprint sessions, daily meetings to say, okay, how are we doing this? And, uh, use real time data coming back. Also, I remember those first few weeks of going live with all of those every morning at 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m., we were pulling the previous 24 hour stats presenting those to the teams and going, okay, we need to tweak here, whether that's a software adjustment, whether that's an operational adjustment, whether that is a strategic adjustment in the parking lot, uh, as an example on curbside, uh, whether that was on a menu adjustment, we, we had that data coming back to us really quickly to help. But it, was, it, was, it was a fun journey. Uh, I don't want to repeat it every year, but it, but it was definitely... Uh, uh, kept kept us going and, and is something we're very excited about. Absolutely, and and really to your to your leadership team and the fact that you were set up to be so agile. And we talked about this a little bit more. And and Kristen was saying, done is better than perfect. We had yes. to get it out there. Done was better than perfect, and then we tweaked while we were in market. And really, you were able to get a very important time and to Catherine's point people you know loyalty with a lowercase l people were changing their loyalty and even though you have raving fans and we'll talk about that in a little bit you had raving fans they still would have to go elsewhere if you weren't offering these items absolutely i, I think you keyed on something that's very important and i and i'm glad Kristen brought it up is we used to strive for perfection that has mm -hmm. always been waterburger's mantra and it's not, not that it's still not something we work for, but it is something that we understand when good is good enough, right? And we use data now to make that decision because the industry's changing so quick, the customer is changing so quick, politics are changing quick, the world is changing. You know, there's a million different things, whether it's weather events, news events, it doesn't really matter. Uh, that is causing companies like Whataburger to be able to stay successful. We have to, to be able to adjust to those. And one of the ways that we're working to do that here is, is by using the data and not just going off of, of personal opinion or what somebody saw. When you're in, in 11 states, soon to be much more, uh, you've got different things going on at different areas of the country that we're having to pay attention to. 
And all of that is uh, feeds in feeds into our, our data machine. Absolutely. Well, then let's talk. We can't talk data without data privacy. So when we talk about consumer data, we really can't skip over the challenge of creating a stellar customer experience without being in full compliance in, in terms of privacy laws. So what are your thoughts on maintaining your loyal fan base's privacy while also enriching their experience and maybe enticing them to visit more often? Yeah, I, I won't say a lot into that because as we get into the security side, you know, uh, it's something we want to, to be aware of. Uh, it's, it's privacy, it, it, it is consumer data. Uh, all of us on, on, on this podcast today uh, have probably used some type of payment device just just today, right? And so that data is always being shared. It is the number one thing that we're looking at from a security perspective. I can say that. I will yeah. tell you that that industry is is the the only industry that is probably changing faster than data uh, is is being able to try to stay at least as close to to uh, that hacking environment, you know, the, those unethical hackers that are out there, those unethical events that are taking place. It, it's in the news headlines every day. And it is something that, that we take very, very seriously here at Whataburger. Uh, and it's a challenge. It is a challenge. As you start looking at where data comes from, just just in the restaurant and at a, at a company like Whataburger, where we have customers interacting through .com. We have customers interacting through mobile applications. We have customers interacting through credit cards at the stores. We have multiple lanes in our restaurants. We have customers interacting with technology in those areas. Uh, and then that's just the customer side. When you start looking at the banking side and the financial side, mm -hmm. there's a lot more areas that we have to look into and secure. So I just, just, you know, we, and then I flip the coin and how do we, how do we tell our customers what we're doing so they feel comfortable? I think, you know, that is, that is always the challenge uh, is to, to make the customer understand that their data is secure. Uh, I call it the creep factor. We're trying not to go too far uh, in using that data. Uh, and so, we, we analyze that pretty heavily, but we, we do work with our customers uh, and to, to be sure that they understand their data is strictly being used for their benefit uh, and it drives how we uh, adjust our business, but we're not doing it at the cost of the customer. Uh, we're doing it to make sure that, that everything that they do with us uh, is strictly for what they may need or want. So Catherine, same kind of question to you. What are you seeing in terms of changes in privacy and how that impacts overall marketing strategies? Yeah, I think it's been fascinating, you know, to watch that enroll. We were actively engaged in the GDPR over the last couple of years and the compliance. And then I'm eager to see how states, you know, respond and try to get in line with or against California and see what happens with, with that those regulations. I was reading this McKinsey stat, a big McKinsey um, wanted, uh, groupie, and they, um, they were talking about how 90% of consumers are concerned about online privacy and nearly 50% are limiting online activity because they have privacy concerns. But in a survey they did of senior marketing leaders, 64% were saying they don't think regulations will limit 
what they're doing today. They won't really change, you know, current practices. And, and then another 51% said that they don't think consumers will limit their access to data. So I feel like there's so much to watch there, you know, to see how consumers handle it. I think the open communication, like Jerry was talking about to consumers is a big key to it because they're going to be a lot more um, comfortable continuing to share their data with a company who's being transparent like that about how they're protecting them. So I think that that'll be a key factor. But for me, even more than the formal regulations, because I don't go too, too deep into them, it's the ethics of the data use has been really interesting to me, you know, from a data perspective, especially when it comes to things like hyper-personalization. Um, you know, what's the line? It's like you were saying about that, that creep factor, Jerry. The, is, it, is it okay to charge, you know, Susie Jones more for a hamburger when she orders it for the fourth time? You're assuming she's going to pay it without question because you know she's ordered it four times. You know, can you ding her on the fourth, on the fourth purchase? Is it fair to do that on an individual basis? Uh, you know, that's going to be a question when we get into dynamic pricing. And then, you know, when is a highly targeted promo relevant and welcomed? You know, like, oh, great, thanks for sending that vegetarian promo or, you know, whatever specific to me. And when is it creepy? You know, when does it cross that line? Like, uh, I sent an email about a trip to Whistler and now suddenly I'm getting promos about, you know, ski boots and skis. I mean, that, you know, can be really unwelcomed and stalkery. <laughs> so it's going to be, for me, a really interesting conversation, you know, to come up with this philosophy around where that line is, what's acceptable, what's not. And I guarantee you some regulations will pop up there as well. But I, I find it interesting. It, it is a very fascinating business. And I think it's something that that our, 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 our world is just going to have to deal with. And one of the other areas that, that it is really fascinating that is that we see based on uh, the age of our customers are, you know, college, college age, you know, in that 18 to, to 25, 26 year old, they are a lot more relaxed around those, those types of, you know, dedicated offers, specific offers coming in off of what was just ordered versus our customers who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, we're even blessed to have customers in their 80s and 90s uh, that, that still don't use technology, which is great. But uh, though you know, coming in and we and we get questions and we work really closely with our restaurant staff because sometimes they even get questions if you know if they get asked, hey, do you want to try our mobile app? Well, what are you going to do with my data if I sign up? And so it, it's very fascinating. Not just it, it's not going to be a one size fits all, and I think that is one of the exciting things to me to watch and see not only as an industry, but as a society, how we deal with those challenges coming up. I'm gonna pivot again. I wanna get your perspective, Jerry, on the importance and the value of social media reviews. But to preface this topic, I wanna to give our listeners who may not be familiar with Whataburger some insights into your brand first. Okay. So, Whataburger is a beloved Texas brand who has almost a, I would say, cult following. It started with the founder who wanted to sell a bigger burger. After all, everything is bigger in Texas. And when you hold one of those Whataburgers in your hands, you will definitely say, what?
but a burger. So search <laughs> online, you're gonna find stories of a couple who maybe got married last year in front of a Whataburger uh, with the bride wearing that bright Whataburger orange, as well as a family who held a senior prom on their front porch during the COVID pandemic. And even a news site shared pictures of this couple drinking from Whataburger cups. So even Whataburger cookies, famously went on one of the space shuttle missions. So <laughs> suffice to say, Jerry, you have a very loyal fan base and a lot has gone into developing that following. So from your perspective, what creates such a successful following and keeps your fan loyal base so loyal? I tell you what, we, we are very fortunate. We have, we call it the cult following. Uh, we, we, and we embrace that. We love that. We love being engaged with our customers. Texas is also known as the friendly state. We, we, we love to, to, to have conversations, uh, hold the door open for people, be polite. But I think as we have, have pivoted over the last several years, social media has been so important to Whataburger. We embraced all the challenges. Uh, we, we were lucky enough that we had the right teams in place to say, look, the social media thing is here to stay and it's going to become the most critical feedback mechanism we have for our customers. And that's not just Facebook, that's Facebook, that's TikTok, that's all of those, Instagram, uh, you, you name it. Those are all, all critical, critical feedback mechanisms that we have and the way we have addressed those is we look at all our channels of, of customer feedback from doing CSAT surveys uh, in the restaurants to doing interviews in the restaurants. But I tell you that probably one of the most important ones, if not the most important, is we have a group that is constantly watching our social media feeds. Uh, and we're not just watching them. I think that is the critical thing back to build that brand loyalty and how do we build it is we interact with our customers on social media. And so we, do, we, do, we don't believe social media is just a one-way uh, method of communication back to us. We believe it is a two-way method of communication that goes out and grabs those uh, loyal fans of Whataburger. And we don't always want, don't get me wrong, we, we do always want people to come to Whataburger, but we also want them to feel like they are a part of the Whataburger experience. And so that is exactly why you see people getting married in Whataburgers. You <laughs> see, uh, uh, we were fortunate just, just last night, we, we had some uh, a young cook that started with us that, that was on a national syndicated uh, cooking TV show uh, that went viral on social media just over the last couple of weeks. And so we engaged those. Uh, those channels to be able to do what we want. I think to pivot a little bit from our customer, customers are number one in that social media space, but we're also now using social media as a key driver for employment and understanding how do we tap into those unchanneled, you know, those unused channels to, to bring success into our family members. Uh, some of your best employees can be some of your biggest fans. And so, Let's, let's go get them at that level. And they may not be thinking that I want to go apply somewhere or, you know, I haven't thought about that. I haven't thought about what the, the opportunities are. There's so many opportunities uh, at a company like this that 
but the way to reach out into those is to go through that social media. Uh, we're, we're very, very fortunate here at Waterburger to have uh, what's been ranked several times the number one uh, QSR in the social media space, and, and we're proud of that. Absolutely. And back to your just original point of the two main types of data, it is a great way uh, to not only get that understanding of that data and, and be able to get those employees, but understand how they're performing and, and a great area that captures all of that. Yeah, and, and I don't want to paint, you know, don't get me wrong, we make mistakes. Whataburger has, makes mistakes, right? Any, any company does, and if you don't realize you do make mistakes, uh, that's, that's one of the challenges. But I think we, we understand that, and social media today can make or break a company in a matter of minutes, if not seconds. Absolutely. Things can go viral very quickly, and let's be honest, things that usually go viral aren't always the good things. They can be the bad things. And so, but what we have found, while we don't have many of those, but when, when something, a customer does post something out there that they had maybe not such a great experience, what we have found is, is very important is to address that quickly. Even if it, that's at 3 a.m. in the morning or if it, that's at 3 p.m. in the afternoon or 9 a.m., it doesn't matter. We want to address that, that quickly. And what that customer realizes then is that you're, you're meeting them where they want to be met. They didn't want to call. They didn't want to send an email. They didn't want to send a text message. Uh, it made them feel good to be able to put that out on a platform that they could share their experience. But what it has also done is when we turn around and meet them in that same experience, it very quickly de-escalates that situation and brings that, not only brings that customer back to us, but it brings a bunch more to us. And I think social media is just, just an amazing platform when it's used correctly. Absolutely. So global payments and, and Xenial have tools that help brands uh, track and react to consumer responses online. So Catherine, I'm going to send this over to you. As I mentioned before, you have, are one of the pioneers in social data analytics. You have a long history of working with it. So what are some recent takeaways in terms of the space? Uh, first of all, I, Jerry, you just thrilled me because I, I've been singing that song for a long time. And the fact that you've all embraced it like that is just is like a dream to hear. <laughs> it makes me feel like uh, I'm singing the right song and we can keep singing it. Um, I am I love social data. I've been working with it for a good 10 years, um, you know, back when it really wasn't a thing. And <laughs> we were always finding so much value in it. And so I think it's just exciting to see it keep growing and people embracing the fact that it's as important as it is. We have equity groups that used to come to us to do due diligence. And it used to be a little bit of a one-off, you know, that they would look for this sort of um, untraditional research. Now they all do it. Now it's a, it's a part of a portfolio. You have to have it. So things, it just seeing the way it's been embraced even by those kinds of institutions for our industry, I think is, is a, um, a nod for its importance. And and then we've seen those studies, you know, all those studies that show that there's revenue increases tied to it. So there is a way to measure it. Um, we've, we've seen as much as four to 17% of revenue increase tied to each increase in a star rating. I mean, that's huge that, you know, Harvard and uh, Merchant Centric have both done studies on it. And I just feel like 
when we we get that message to everybody, <laughs> then everybody will have the success that Whataburger has with it because it really is so critical. You know, they people used to think it was just all about likes and thumbs ups and popularity, but I think mostly now they're understanding too that they can uncover operational issues because that's been one of my favorite things to do with it over the last years. Um, you know, use that review text, analyze that review text and find out, you know, if you see a dip in ratings, figure out why. And it's like, oh, there's a service issue and maybe it's just at this store. Or um, did you know that everybody's talking about soggy fries at, in this DMA? You know, maybe there's an issue with the, the equipment. You know, there's something going on if you can find it and fix it. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole point of feedback. So I think that social is so much richer with that than some people realize. You know, not all brands are as um, uh, cutting edge on it as Whataburger, but I think people are getting it. Um, and like you were saying too, Jerry, that the, it thrills me that you all are responding to reviews. In my past life, I didn't have access to that piece of it. So I was focusing on the analysis of the ratings and the reviews and one of the things that excited me, like Tama was mentioning, when I got here to Xenial, and we have this ability for uh, for restaurant operators to have all of their reviews in one place and do all their responses in one, you know, compact portal so that they can get to it. It really excited me because that was one of the things that I knew restaurant operators were challenged with, you know, how to keep up with that onslaught of reviews. So sometimes they would ignore them and that would scare me because an ignored review you've seen i'm sure you've seen it in in your reviews jerry that that they get angrier you know an an upset reviewer gets angrier when they are not answered and they want to be answered like you said where they are right so the giving them those tools you know giving an operator tools to be able to solve it live you know is i think name of the game i had there's an operator that i love is a small brand i think also a texas brand actually um, who was telling me that they had uh, alerts so that anytime they got a review under a certain number, the GM was automatically alerted and they could find oftentimes that that person was still in the store. So they could find the person, they could solve the problem like right on the spot, you know, like do it live. And I feel like that's how the, uh, the reviews online have to be treated too, that immediacy. Because it's not, it's not just a static like you said, Jerry, it's, it's not just them interacting with you. You've got to be interacting out. So I'm seeing more and more people embrace that and it excites me. So Catherine, we just, we talked about social reputation data and its importance, but I really want to switch again and talk more about competitive, the competitive mm-hmm. landscape overall. Absolutely. Yeah. That's another topic I've spent a lot of time in that I, I really enjoyed. I get to uh, help brands understand their competitors, um, whether it's comparing price or menus or helping find your true competitor, you know, because it's not always who we think it is <laughs> when we start looking at it. We actually use social data for that, too, in the past. That's we would triangulate sort of to figure out where else people are stealing your <laughs> stealing your customers from. So it's, it's, a, it's a, a great use of that data again. Now, I, we used to do it one way, and now I think about it in a different way. So I'm kind of thinking about it in this two-pronged approach, uh, a highly granular on one hand and then a more broad on the other. My 
granular track is, a, is you know, getting to that super, super nitty gritty. And, and this was the focus when I started doing it like a decade ago. We'd spend so much time collecting and transforming that data. It was the bulk of our time and our cost and our everything was getting that data in the door. And then once we were able to collect it digitally, we were amassing these huge collections of that kind of data. And then our issue and our, our overwhelming process came into you know the, the transformation of that data and the normalization of that data to make it usable, which was a whole different kind of a of, um, a overwhelming process to go through. Um, and, and for some analyses, depending, depending on what you're doing, you don't always need that all of that granularity. So one of the uh, that broad track that I'm really leaning more and more into lately is is leaning into data models like using transaction data from credit card purchases to understand market position. You know, how does your average ticket compare to your segment in your markets? And what share of wallet are you realizing from consumers versus your competitors? You know, it's definitely very applicable to, to uh, competitor analysis in there. And while obviously credit card usage and, and analysis isn't new, it's, it's very tried and true. But it's one of those other data sources that grew so much in this last year and a half because so many people were doing touchless or digital or online and less cash. So again, that was another source that where we have a lot there. Um, and it's, you know, again, I'm, I'm very much the Xenial groupie right now, Jerry, because I've only been here for a couple of months. But it's one of the things that I found that, again, we had to work with here. So I've really, you know, get to dig in, dive into to using that. And one of my favorite, favorite parts of it is that it works so well with that social data, which is my first love. <laughs> um, you can see where your you know, share of wallet might be lower than your competitors in a market. And then you can go to those reviews and you can kind of, again, triangulate to figure out what could be going on. So rather than spending you know, X amount on an AAU study or some kind of you know, traditional uh, marketing or traditional research to figure out what's going on. Sometimes you've got it right in front of you. You know, it's right there with those two data sets blended. So those are the kinds of things that make me uh, make me really excited. And I want to get that out to especially some of the smaller or rising emerging brands who don't necessarily have this, aren't as sophisticated as Whataburger and need help getting there. So that's a big personal goal. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I think that that's critical. And we, we spend a lot of time getting that, that, that looking at that competitive data. And I, it, it's not number, the number one piece of data that we go after, but it is absolutely something that we want to pay attention to and look at. I think something you mentioned is, is very, uh, jumps off at me. And, and the way we used to have to get that, like you said, was doing these in-depth studies and going into multi-month analysis and studying and uh, sometimes even going as far as shopping and then coming back and doing that. And now what, what as an industry, and, and I think definitely here at Whataburger, what we're seeing is we have to be able to turn that type of information. It's a strategic advantage to be able to turn that information around faster. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that is, you know, where the business used to could wait for two months, three months, four months for a new set of reports to operate the business on. Now what we're seeing is the business has to wait more than 24, 48 hours a week at the most. That 
that need has, has gone beyond where we needed it to go. That issue has passed. Uh, there's nothing we can do to change that at this point. And so we're having to, to really spend some time and going in and understanding not only how do we get that data faster, but how do we analyze and use analytics that are coming out through, through companies um, to, to use the tool suites like, like y'all have, like, like uh, uh, Payments has and Xenial and, and those, those companies that, that we partner with to bring that data to us so we can run those tools much, much faster and be able to respond quicker. I think that's the other piece in this industry that is changing is data is old as soon as you get it. It, 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 it does, it, it's old. And so uh, you have to be able to, to turn that data around for our business within hours uh, or a day, not, not weeks or months. I could not agree more. I absolutely have said, I mean, if nothing else was clear over this year and a half, especially it was immediacy. Immediacy is the name of the game. If you can't do it, then there's, you find another way because it, it's really critical. I agree. That's funny too, Jerry. I was, I was going to talk about a little bit about as the fact that you're a privately held company, you don't get to boast about some of your amazing success, like others that are, that are public. So I just, you know, I can attest to the fact that you guys are absolutely killing it. You have some of the highest AUVs I've ever heard of in a company as well. And the fact that you still, even though you're top of the market are not only looking and considering what competitors are doing to just make sure, but you're also taking that data and I would say near real time or real time uh, and, and using it to make change is, is super important and likely one of the reasons to that prior <laughs> point that you are doing so well uh, with it. All right, so just I'm going to wrap up here. I have some final questions. I'm going to start with you, uh, Catherine, and then I'm going to end with Jerry. But just anything, um, if you could step into my shoes, what should have I, I sh what should I have asked you that perhaps I didn't? I loved your questions, Tama. I love this conversation. These are some of my favorite topics, and I'm so excited to meet Jerry. I feel like I'm meeting a rock star because of all the um, successes you've had at Whataburger. I've been watching Whataburger, so it's, it really is exciting to chat with you today. I would say that for me, uh, I know I was talking a lot about data because it is, like, you know, that whole, it's my first love. Um, and I'm so, um, I'm finding so much of it to play with these days. So it's, it's top of mind. But the uh, frontier that's new to me, more so than Xenial, it's not new at all to Xenial, is the technology around the ordering experience. So like how cloud-based POS and digital menu boards and kiosks and all of those things make the customer and the operator experience so much smoother. It, it goes to like we were saying, Jerry, about empowering your employees, you know, getting that technology in their hands because they are the collectors of this data. So I, I was surprised just, just to see uh, a lot of what already exists here because some of it was this future state sort of conversation that, that I've been having over the last couple of years and I arrive and I'm like, oh, they're doing AI and suggestive selling and you know all of these things that I, I thought were a couple of years out that are already happening. And of course, the reason I get excited about that is because it goes back to the data geek problem that I have. <laughs> it's the beauty of getting all of that data from those technologies that are also making everyone's lives easier and then being able to do more with it, weave it all together, make it more specific, get into my dream scenarios of things like 
um, dynamic pricing and dynamic menu optimization. Just imagine how much fun we can have with all of that, you know, figuring out how to sell in the heat. <laughs> Here's your ice cold beverage photos, you know, on the board and a suggestion to purchase at the end. And maybe the price goes up a teeny bit on a really hot day. <laughs> you know, there's, there's all these pieces. Obviously there are those ethics <laughs> we have to balance in okay. as well, but there's so much, um, you know, so much to, to explore, so much to discuss, so much to brainstorm about that it feels limitless. Absolutely. And it's great to have partners that are pushing the envelope and helping. Mm -hmm. So Jerry, same question to you. What would you like to talk about when it comes to data that maybe we missed or we're not thinking about? I, I, again, just like Catherine said, I, I think we covered the high points. It, it, I will say for, for me and, and for Whataburger, data is the next frontier. And, and I know that's a cliche term. Uh, it gets used a lot, but everything produces data. And uh, the ecosystem there that, that Catherine mentioned is, is huge. When you look at that entire, and when I say ecosystem, I'm talking, the, let's just use the order ecosystem for a minute. There's a lot of different ecosystems within, within a restaurant, but let's just take that customer ordering ecosystem that goes everywhere from your mobile device. Uh, one day to the next day, they may pull through and they may do curbside the next time they pull through later in the week, they may want to come through drive-through. Uh, they may come in on a, on a Saturday night with their family and uh, want to have a, a, a family dinner to uh, looking at, you know, coming in, engaging in uh, a picnic type style or something like that where they just want to pick it up and, and a lot of times delivery. And so, we really look at all of that as that customer journey and customer ecosystem. And I think the technology is finally there. Uh, it, it's something that I know I've been talking about and a lot of us here over the last 10 years have been talking, if the tech, we, we could see it, we could, could taste it, but we couldn't quite touch it. Uh, we're just now touching it. And uh companies that have started to, to be able to bring that into their ecosystem such as we have. And we're looking at a lot of cool things well beyond kiosk. Uh, a lot of things around automation, automatic ordering capabilities, uh, AI capabilities. I think AI is something that we didn't spend a lot of time talking about today, but it is something that is is very important. It goes along with those data models that Catherine mentioned earlier. but. Because there is so much data out there, we, you don't have a choice but to use AI. And how does that fit in? And that can fit in everywhere from taking the initial order to help get order accuracy more correct, to include your, your time to receive order, uh, your speed of service in the kitchen, all the way through uh, getting that hot drink or that cold drink or that hot burger at the other end of that drive-through or at the other end of that restaurant uh, is just huge huge and some of the most exciting things. I think technology is always exciting. You know, we've been through several booms over the last 20 to 25 years, but we're back into a technology revolution, I think. And a lot of that, I, I know a lot of people, don't get me wrong, COVID was horrible and it was a bad, bad thing and we don't ever want to go through it again. But I'm, I'm an always look for the silver linings. I think the past year and a half have brought a lot a focus back into technology, a lot of focus back into customer, 
And something that the that society was starting to lose was that how do they interact with that customer? And I think COVID has forced businesses to come back. In order to stay successful, they have to do that. And in order to do that, you have to manage your data and, and use that data uh, for the customer and, and for your company to make sure you stay both stay successful and get what they need at the end of the day. All right, well, I want to thank both of my guests, Jerry Phillips and Catherine Dalton, for joining us today and helping to continue to inspire me and hopefully our listeners as well. So we look forward to watching the great ways you both continue to innovate and inspire your teams. I also want to thank our audience for joining us. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at tama.looney at zenial.com. And that's going to be it for Zenial's Table Stakes today. Tune in as we continue to feature restaurant professionals who create, inspire, and innovate and are continually pushing others to do the same. Thank you guys both so much. Thank Thank you, you. Emma. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like to suggest a topic or guest for an upcoming episode, we want to hear from you. You can reach us at tablestakes at zenial.com. Table Stakes is produced by Michael Kowalski. Our audio engineer is Joseph Hopp, and I'm your host, Andy Grindstaff.